C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. Welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. And I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi. And today we have a surprise. We have a podcast. (laughs) As we both try to talk at the same time. Yes, no guest. Professional. But we know that these episodes are some of your favorites, so no worries. So first, we shall begin by tying a knot in the friendship bracelet, uh, or as they are formally called, millennial moments, and fill our loyal listeners in on what is going on with us. Yes. So Maddie, shall fill I us begin? in. What's your millennial um, moment? Well, I guess just giving like life updates. Um, I'm still studying for the GMAT. It's still very difficult Good. and hard to maintain nice. motivation. And it's a lot of relearning how to do long division by hand because you can't use a calculator. So, wait, really you can't use fun. a calculator at all? No. Sad. This seems dumb. Yes, very dumb. If I could use a calculator, like it would still be hard, but at least I wouldn't be like wasting time doing, like. I feel like you could use a calculator division. on the GRE. Yeah, I think you can. Don't quote me on that, but. The GMAT, you definitely I mean, I not. only have taken it, like, three times. I mean, why would I know? You know? Yeah. Well, I feel like with all standardized tests, you kind of, like, block it out of your memory once you take it. That's and then it's true. not part of your brain anymore. <laughs> so that's what I'm looking forward to. Um, but this weekend, I didn't get to study at all, which was, like, very, very terrible because I was having so much fun on Long Island on Saturday with some buds. Mm-hmm. And it was very fun. We went to the beach, and then we went to a wine festival. Some members cool. of our group got a little little cray cray i didn't realize you also went to a wine festival and yes. now some of the stories you were telling me <laughs> offline make much more sense yeah so we like i was like that was some heavy drinking for just a day at the beach yeah no it was definitely like a full day drinking thing because we went to lunch and then we like sat on the beach for like two hours just to like kill time and then we went to like a three hour basically like open bar and it wasn't just wine there was also like i mean like there was also hard alcohol there. Like the first drink I mm-hmm. had was like a vodka soda. So it was just like cray cray, but it was very fun. And then, but that was like an all day thing. I didn't get home till like 11 PM. And then Sunday, Corey and I were doing stuff all day as well. So I was just like, you know, it was really fun and definitely a lot of social stuff, but I like did not get any sleep. And I was pretty sick for like the last week that we didn't record because mm-hmm. Shay was visiting the small nugget which is so cute on Instagram the small nugget you can see the nugget on Instagram it was very nuggety and very cute but we took a week off from recording which was good because I had a bad head cold so anyways hot mess express but now you know recommitting myself to the studying but the piece de resistance which I'm sure Shay oh. was like yes. how can I not talk about it Tyler C amazing. from The Bachelor Tyler C peeps do you know Tyler C I'm sure. I didn't know. She, yeah, I was gonna say Shay had no idea until yesterday when I feasted her eyes. She, I my eyes were feasted. I <laughs> so, feasted my eyes. I've watched all twenty some odd seasons of this stupid show, and I would say Tyler C is definitely the most attractive contestant. And it's not just me that thinks that, but I'm part of like a number of Bachelor and Bachelorette fan Facebook groups. And at first, it's one of those things, and, like, the women on the groups were posting this, and I've listened, I listened to a lot of, like, Bachelor podcasts, and, like, they were also talking about it, and I was like, yes, this is how I feel, because it's different, like, looking at pictures of him, like, he looks a little not real, which is something that Shay and I have talked about, but, like, seeing him interact on the show and, like, his voice, um, he's, like, on paper definitely like not any of our type like he's super just like conventionally attractive and like kind of looks like a douche but then when you like very douchey yeah but then when you like hear him talk it's like he's very into like platitudes that mean nothing but somehow they come off as like very charming and he 
is just like he's a dancer and also like a general contractor but he's like very secretly gay maybe but he's very like into i mean he's had some steamy makeouts with hannah the current bachelorette so i'm looking at his six pack right now yeah so he's like very jacked he used to play football in college but he's like Mm. all these like bachelorette facebook groups that i'm a part of like girls have gone on like a deep dive of his social media to see like who he follows like stuff that he likes and has like retweeted and stuff and he's very Mm. like socially aware like he's been like retweeting a lot of stuff about like pride month and he started this charity that helps at-risk youth exercise and like gives them healthy meals and stuff and it's just like oh for a you know 26 year old hot dude and most of these you know not to give him too much credit but you know most of these lug nuts that are on this show are not doing any of this you know Mm -hmm. so he holds a very special place in my heart anyways well that's lovely yeah i was listening to everything you said while also looking him up on his Instagram. Uh, here is some interesting facts. Is this Tyler Cameron? Yes. Three. Okay. Yes. So, so listeners, I think this is important to know that he went to Wake Forest University yes. and has his MBA yes. from Florida Atlantic University. Um, yes. Very highly educated. Custom home builder. Yeah. I mean. So nice and charming. And from night one, he did the dance from Footloose on night one. And Sarah Shecker, former guest of the pod, was there. And she will say he's been one of my favorites since that moment. I was like, yes. Because he clearly is like... And even the episode last night, like, they always do, like, a blooper at the end. And it was, like, of his Uh dancing. So I'm like, I can tell he's, like, a down-to-earth person. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like just like going back through his Instagram. Obviously, he's always been really good looking, but I think he had like a serious glow up moment right before he went on the show. So I don't oh, think he's like used to all of this up. attention. Yeah. So, anyways, yesterday I wake up, I realize he's doing. Okay, I forgot we were still actually going to tell the story. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. So I realize he's doing a charity thing where if you donate to his charity, ABC Food Tours, and then like send him a screenshot of your donation and like tell him where you live he could show up and watch the show with you and I was like oh my god I can't pass up this opportunity it was just in New York and so of course I enter and then you know the showtime rolls around Sarah was also here and Corey was here and he didn't show up so I was like oh whatever you know money went to a good cause no harm no foul it was like a fun thing to think about throughout the day and like tell all my friends so I like didn't think anything of it show happens excellent episode then I'm sitting in bed And I'm just, like, doing my, like, pre-bed looking through Instagram. And I was like, oh, I have a DM. I wonder who is wanting to talk to me at 11 o'clock at night. And then I see it's a video. And then I proceed to squeal in Corey's ear as he's trying to sleep. Poor Corey. And I was like, oh, my God. And uh, it was a video. I'll just play the audio for the listeners. What the heck? Because I would post to it, but the video that I took has my address. So I feel like that's um not good not great but um holds please i don't know if you can hear it <laughs> oh. so if we listen he said he loved me I don't care that it's yes. out of context, but he, you he uttered the, the words. You the final rose, Maddie. I got the final rose. And he well, invited me to go running with him at Tavern on the Green, which I absolutely am not going to do because I'm a literal slug. But it was a nice gesture. I mean, that's very nice. So basically, if you couldn't I mean, hear it, he was like, hey, Maddie, sorry I couldn't hang out with you and your boyfriend because I sent that in the DM. And then he was like, thank you so much for the donation. You rock. I love you words that I could splice out of context and have forever mm-hmm. in my heart and then he was like come to tavern on the green and we're doing a run in central park tomorrow and I was like hmm absolutely not but thank you so I squealed I freaked out I realized true millennial moment you can't send a video that's been dm to you to other people so I had to like play the video and then have Corey record a video mm. of the video so then I could send it so I sent it to Shay I was very hype so yeah you were very hype. You were very hype all day. Yes. You said, I need, what did you say to me? Because it made me giggle. I will read it, do a dramatic reading for the audience. Oh my God. Uh, I was super extra. I can't believe people put up with my antics. 
you said, oh, we had a whole long conversation. I know, because you had to research him because you don't watch the show. I did, yeah. So it said, Maddie, text me at 6.10 (laughs) a.m. Granted, this is Pacific time, so it was 9.10 a.m. her time. Current mood. Entering a contest to watch The Bachelor tonight with a contestant in my home. (laughs) I need supervision. (laughs) And then you said, he's super hot, and I just want him to bring me pizza and hear his voice for two hours. (laughs) And Corey wants to ask him workout tips. So I love it. And here is the real question. If he does not get the final rose on The Bachelorette and ergo becomes the next Bachelor, will you dump Corey and try and go on The Bachelor? Well, Corey did say, and Sarah was here, that he would let me go on one platonic date with Tyler C. Oh. And not do anything sexual. So I was like, okay. But I was like, I don't know. No, I'm not going to do that. But I, so good, spoiler good alert job, for <laughs> good man. the world's worst girlfriend. Um, no, so I was texting my mom basically like similar things that I was texting you. And spoiler alert, if you don't want to be spoiled for the current season of The Bachelorette, I usually don't spoil myself. But Marianne texted me and she was like, oh, Reality Steve has already said that Tyler C is going to win this season. And I was like, and t- Reality and, Steve. I know, but he's usually like, really correct on that kind of stuff so i was like fuck and now that like the season is kind of progressing i'm like i can see it because the other front one of the other front runners it's already like a known thing that he had a girlfriend while he was filming so like he's not gonna win and then the other one Mm -hmm. is getting on hannah's nerves so i'm like she's gonna cut those two yahoos and then it's just gonna be tyler c by default but true if if i don't think that bachelor nation could handle tyler c being the bachelor just oh, judging really? from the hype. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. like all the podcasts I listen to, all the Facebook groups are all like Tyler C. It's just like pandemonium. So. Wow. But I do feel like, you know, anything can happen on the most dramatic rose ceremony ever. It's true. Or they could break up after the fact and he could like. Go on Bachelor in Paradise. Yeah. Like there's cry, so many things. Get herpes. Then become the Bachelor. I know. It's. Well, actually, fun fact, they don't let you on any of the Bachelor shows if you have herpes. You have to do a blood test, so. Really? Yeah. And even if you have mouth herpes, they don't let you. What? Yeah. It's a real thing. That is so interesting. Mm -hmm. Also seems slightly discriminatory. Yeah. Considering, like, a ton of people, I think it's like one in four people have, you know, at least mouth herpes mm-hmm. if not genital herpes so it's super common but yeah they test for like all stds hiv herpes like the whole works yeah i mean i understand being like okay well what if you have syphilis do they let you go on if you take a course of antibiotics i don't know that's a good question i mean i feel like if you're like auditioning for the bachelor and you get past like the initial round of interviews like and they're like okay you had undiagnosed syphilis like maybe you should get your act together before you're like auditioning to be on a tv show kind of thing mm. and like be on top of your std status Sexual but health. yeah but anyways interesting that was my millennial moment from yesterday so that's very good yeah. i like that um well my millennial moment I mean, I don't really have much to update the listeners on. Uh, As Maddie mentioned, I went to San Diego to see my friend Danielle's new baby. He is a nugget. He's very cute. Um, They also asked me to be the godmother, which was very exciting. And I was very, it was very unexpected uh, because they, you know, they don't really practice any particular denomination at the moment, although I think they're both spiritual people. And you know, I loved, and I think this is actually, so now the thing I said it was going to be my millennial <laughs> moment isn't, this is going to be fine. my millennial You can moment. do two hot topics. I mean, my link in the friendship bracelet chain in order to stay on brand. Um, but, you know, it was really interesting um, when they asked me and then we were talking about it and Danielle's husband was talking about how his godparents had always been so important in his life and um, it was just always very special to have that person that's an adult that's not your parents or a family member to be able to go to and I just really loved that and I am very excited to um, bestow much wisdom and gifts upon baby Diego 
and um yeah it's very exciting and also i want to let our listeners know in case anyone is in need of spiritual guidance because apparently i'm good at this uh this is my second godchild oh who's the first one yeah uh my little cousin bridget and she is now a real grown-up i mean she's like almost 17 wow and she is quite responsible and lovely so i would say i am very good at my job shout out to bridget yeah Yeah, a plus bridge awesome well, mm-hmm. I have to transition into our toasty campfire topics, hot topics. Oh, yes. Bring um, a hot log. I have just to produce on the fly. So I have one small recommendation, and then we want to bring Corey on for a mm-hmm. small hot topic segment. But do Great. you want to – I'll do my small recommendation, and then we can do your hot topic one, then bring Corey on, then hot topic two. Does that work? To kind of like – That sounds great. Forth? Yeah. Great. Sounds about. Okay. So my quick – First little campfire topic that okay. I was going to do before we decided to bring Corey on. But okay. I found this ex- – it's really short. I found this exciting new podcast called oh. Chatty Broads with Becca and oh. Jess. And I first started listening to it because I have been following Becca, the Becca. She mm-hmm. was a contestant on The Bachelor two seasons ago. But that's – so I started following her because of that. But now I'm like, oh, she's so much more than The Bachelor. She's she's really young. She's like two years younger than me. Wait, and, that Becca? Yes, baby Becca. Yeah. And oh. – but she's – she was like the villain, wasn't she? She – well, I think she got a bad edit because they really played up that she was like not ready for marriage and that she was like kind of lying to Ari, The Bachelor, by saying mm-hmm. she was ready when she wasn't. But – now that I've, like, followed her on social media for, like, almost a year and, like, she has, you know, like, YouTube videos and, like, this podcast and stuff that I just started listening to, I'm like, wow, she is so much more. Like, she was homeschooled um, and, like, she got accidentally pregnant with her, like, very new boyfriend at age 23 oh. and they kept the baby and she had, like, a natural home birth and like so anyways they they do talk about the bachelor sometimes on the podcast but it's mostly just her and this other woman jess who's also interesting in her own right and she also she was married at the time but she and her husband also had an unplanned pregnancy and they um ended up having the baby as well so they talk a lot about that but she was the one that had originally linked when we had the hot topic when aaron reverend aaron was on about the postpartum women's Mm. bodies like photo essays so she's like very into that and i'm just like wow for someone who's like 23 years old she's just like very into all this stuff and she they talk Mm -hmm. a lot they're both very like into like the woo woo stuff as well so they talk a lot about that and they talk a lot about like paranormal experiences they've had which i know we've like touched upon this podcast and i'm very Mm -hmm. intrigued in that kind of stuff um but you know despite all the differences they the co-host too is a little bit older she's like in her early 30s i would say like she got pregnant when she was 27 and her kids like three now so i would say she's at mm-hmm. least 30 but i've just been listening to the podcast and they i feel like they talk it, it reminds me of our podcast so that's why i wanted to recommend it to you and our listeners because it's like two women that are you know a little bit separated in age going through some of the similar stuff but also having their own perspectives and they Mm -hmm. kind of do similar things where they like ask each other questions they like talk about their days they bring in experts on like topics that they want to talk about and I just think it's like very well produced and but still has like a casual vibe so check it out chatty broads excellent I love it wonderful Wonderful recommendation. So what's your first campfire topic? Well, the first one is I had found this article actually several weeks ago about um, Samira Wiley, the actress who Mm. we know first from Orange is the New Black and then The Handmaid's Tale. And there was just one thing. Well, there were several things that I thought were really interesting about it. Uh, The first uh, is that she's a Juilliard grad. I mean, who knew? Um, and that she loves cheddar bay biscuits from Red Lobster oh. and she had never had one and then she did and she said it like changed her life, which I just thought was hysterical. Uh, she's also uh, married uh, to a lady who is a or just the new black writer and producer. Um, and I just love they kind of like talked about their relationship a little bit. Uh, but the reason I wanted to highlight this is I thought it was really interesting Um because we talk a lot about this, about, you know, I think 
it's come up on this podcast many times about representation and et cetera. And um, she says, she talks about playing, she wants to expand the public's perception of what a black woman can be because she can be anything. Um, and then she says her upcoming role in bios, a sci-fi movie slated for 2020 in which she stars alongside none other than the Tom Hanks mm. is a perfect example. Her character was originally written for an older white male uh, quote. He was initially a John Wayne saves the day and gets the girl kind of guy End quote. She explains, but I went in and showed them it was actually me they were looking for. I refuse to exist in a box. So I just thought, here's badass, cool. yeah, gay or queer, is that the word I'm supposed to be using? Queer woman of color who is doing this awesome thing that as women, so many of us don't do. We just, you know, if someone says this is who this is supposed to be or this is how this is supposed to be, we don't challenge it. And I love the story that she just goes in and she says, hey, look, I'm really good at what I do. I think I can play this character. Here's why. And she gets the job. And I just thought that was really inspiring. And I wanted to share it with our readers, even though I feel or our readers, our listeners, even though I feel like I very inarticulately explained it there. Oh, so that's great. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you. Very cool. Um, all right. So for my second hot topic, so we had talked about this off mic when we invited Rebecca Bassell, whose episode came out a couple weeks ago. Um, on to talk about video games and you know we've had 90 some odd episodes and really you know only maybe touched on video games before Rebecca I can't even think of another time maybe in passing and you know a, a hot topic or something but I think it's such a big part of millennial culture and I think during that episode if people haven't listened to it you definitely should um, mm -hmm. but it really highlighted you know what kind of a blind spot it is in terms of media consumption for Shay and I and I definitely learned a lot from hearing Rebecca's perspective um, from being a woman and being kind of in the developer and writer sphere and it's something that she studied and she does professionally now um, and I just thought since we don't have a guest today and Corey happens to be at home from school that we could invite him on to kind of you know for a quick 10 15 minute little mini mini interview segment to talk about his experiences with video games since it's something that you know living with him I've definitely it's a big part of his social life and his media consumption and I think you know kind of having two different perspectives with Rebecca kind of coming at it obviously as a woman as someone who works in the sphere professionally versus Corey who is male and I think the gender dynamics do really play into account here um really heavily and being more on the consumer side as opposed to the development side. So mm -hmm. I'm going to invite Corey to come in. Corey. Excellent. Great. So we are joined by special guest needs no introduction. Mm -hmm. Corey Schober has been on the podcast. His, uh, he's been in a couple of his own interviews and has jumped in from time to time. So hello. hello. Consort to the resident youth. Yes. <laughs> and we already, I don't know if you were listening but we already kind of preface what we're going to be talking about in relation to the episode that we had with Rebecca talking about video games and wanted to get your perspective so we'll probably ask a couple questions but you know it can be a little open-ended but um, I don't know if you had any initial thoughts to that episode but I thought we would start with an open-ended question of why do you like video games what do video games mean to you and how long have you been playing video yes. games? I think that's also important. Well, I've been playing video games since, like, for as long as I can remember, to be honest with you. I can't really remember a time where I didn't. My dad, like, when I was really young, uh, like, I don't know, four or five or six, like, but the PlayStation 1, I think, had come out not that long ago, and my dad got one. And I remember, like, the first video game I ever played was the first Resident Evil on the PlayStation 1. And before that, it had been like... Appropriate. Think, yeah, like an Atari game or like a, some other system. I don't remember what. But um, yeah, really old. And uh, So it's always been around for me. Um, as for why I like them, I think it's the only form of like entertainment, like art, storytelling that engages your senses in like more than one way. Where it's like you read a book, like you, you have the book in your hand, and you read. And I will say Corey's a big reader too. Yeah, like I love reading, but it's just like so you get all that content. You have you know, you have, you have like the the tactile sensation of reading a book, and then you like visually see like the words. But 
just likewise when you watch a movie, right? Like you hear what's happening and you see what's happening, but when you are playing like a video game, you're getting all of that, but you're also interacting with it. So you're you're getting the story as it is like written down, or it's you know played out through characters or what have you. Um, you hear it, you see it, you interact with it in a way that you just can't do with any other like medium of entertainment that exists currently. So, yeah. Very nice. Interesting. What would you mm-hmm. say your favorite video game is and why? It's kind of like an impossible question to answer, unfortunately, but I'll, I'll like, provide an answer. a favorite. <laughs> yeah, like one of my favorites uh, was Dead Space 3 for the Xbox 360. Uh, it was like really good. A lot of people didn't like it. Um, I loved it. Uh, why did you like it? I've never so heard of it. Follow- game, so. so in my opinion, so I, uh, like a lesser known like franchise, I guess you could say, but it was like a horror franchise. Survival horrors that started out the yeah. original. Very I scary. Feel like you very much like the horror Yeah, games. I'm a big fan of the survival mm-hmm. horror genre. It's a very kind of neat. I mean, I know some of them are more mainstream than maybe Shane, I think, but I still think even in the yeah, video game space, very like, scary. It's, well, it's, pretty, it's a little yeah, bit niche. It's pretty, so yeah, so I'm a. That's probably my favorite genre of video games is survival horror. Um, the original one was was like yeah, incredibly like terrifying. Um, but the whole franchise was probably the most successful at following how like horror evolves in the long run, and that like things are like scary at first, dealing with whatever you know terrifying challenge is in front of you, be it like monsters or whatever, what have you. But things can't stay that way which is why a lot of long-running horror series ultimately fail because how they keep the thrill alive and make it scary over the long term when you simply anticipate the scares well that but it's so that simply just can't be done like there is no way because human beings are too adaptable for that like you can't something cannot remain scary unless you allow it to be scary like internal to yourself so dead space was a series that like understood that i think from the creative standpoint and made an attempt to actively shift away so the first one yeah very scary like it was terrifying you didn't know what you were dealing with it was a very unique game uh the second one had a good blend but can i ask a question in these because i think this is the thing that i always get a little confused about or just like i don't quite understand so what is it that you're doing in the game are you so, shooting things are you collecting yeah, things so, trying to survive right yeah so things yeah the uh the beauty of survival horror as a genre is that so specifically to dead space you're fighting like monsters right like really scary like zombie alien like so monsters trying to, like, kill the monsters and stay alive yeah like thing. to not get okay. chomped on by aliens which is you know pretty okay. basic in premise but then the way like survive survival plays into survival horror is that it's constantly a judge of like how many resources do i have on hand to deal with the situation is like one decision worth making versus another, like high risk versus high, re- you know, high so you're reward. Looking at like how many weapons, how much food, like how much, yeah, like 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 a great example you see, because like, the genre is becoming more popular is like like zombie survival shooters, which are like a dime a dozen, which kind of is sad, but they do a really good job of like you know, there's there's ten zombies and I have three bullets, so you're like, which you know three zombies get these bullets, but then there's like, oh well, what if I miss, right? Then so it's, it's like, like The Walking Dead, but a video game. Well, yeah, I mean... The same way, like, it, Red Dead Redemption is, like, Westworld video game, kind of. Sure, that's, like, you know, it's like definitely, at like, a... Level. At a basic level. that's a, definitely, like, a an, like a relatively apt comparison. It's just... And so the survival mechanism is really fun because it it is then a game that's not about, on the surface level, dealing with, like, the problems as you see them with your eyes. Like, there's, like, the layers of problems. And that, like, decisions you can make that seem like good ideas now can actually, like fuck you in the long run you know what i'm saying to pardon you know excuse my language but it's this is an explicitly rated podcast <laughs> you should know that as yeah. number one fan that never listens to the show unless i specifically tell them. it's true roasted sorry Corey. maddie's competing David with listens to the podcast oh, yeah. every week i know i remind him of this oh yeah say what you're gonna say i'm competing with like with a lot of other really good podcasts. So, welcome to Capitalism. He's saying we're not good enough for his attention. No, now it's true. on that's, record. That's not true. Disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> Roasting. Oh, um, yeah. Okay, yeah, I think that's really interesting. The other thing, too, that I wanted to touch upon since we have limited time is, like, the interactive portion of playing video games. Like, I know I've talked about it on this podcast, like... You have really good friends that you've made on PlayStation, like Kevin, we just saw, shout out to Kevin, um, over Memorial Weekend, and, like, that was a big part of your life, and then now, like, you've 
pretty recently bought a PC and you have like streamers that you watch like pretty religiously every day and there's like interactive components with like the chats and interacting with the streamers so what why is that something that is worth your time and you're spending money on it too to invest in this equipment and to subscribe to this stuff like what makes it so valuable and for people that are like the only people that subscribe to twitch are neck breathing neck breathers neck breathers got gills neck beard (laughs) mouth breathers excuse me the technical term um like people that have no social life they're just play you know all the derogatory things that we could say about that and that it's very like male dominated very like heteronormative one type of person experience like what would you say your experience has been does it fit into that mold and you're just kind of like eh whatever I can ignore the bad stuff or do you see maybe more diversity of in that space and more stuff Um, that you do like about it I mean as with anything regarding like tech unfortunately it is pretty like male dominated as you know it generally is going to be but uh, the specific spheres of like Twitch that I inhabit tend to be pretty uh not tolerant of like the neck beard mouth breathing behavior as i you know i've seen it firsthand where yeah like i I wake up every morning and this twitch streamer on the east coast starts a stream early because i you know at around the same time that i'm getting up and you know coming back from the gym and the truth is that i just i don't want to spend like the free time that i have like playing video games all the time like you know, I I do love video games, but sometimes I just don't want to do it because it takes like sitting down and like devoting attention to something, and it's like a thing that you do, right? And I just yeah. don't want to do it sometimes, so I don't. Um, but the 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 beauty of like the Twitch streamer, like the broadcast, is that you know, in order for them to be successful, there's got to be like a lure, and a lot of times it's because they're like funny. You know, it's 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 honestly like comedy sometimes. Like it's not about watching these people exist, and I'm not knocking their crap, but it's not about for me watching somebody who's like good at a video game like crushing the competition like i could give a shit about that like i really don't you know care but it's like they're funny and it's like watching a non-stop like blooper reel right then you have like the chat of you know real people all tuning in from like all over the world like israel uk scotland australia like everywhere right um all here for, like for that content right and sure every so often like once in a blue moon i mean it happened today uh somebody will come in you know and either say say something like just completely stupid or like downright you know bigoted and it gets like from my experience crushed like pretty quickly like those people are not like they're just not it's not tolerated like they obviously the the broadcaster plays a big role in yeah. setting the tone and i know the guy that, that you listen to like his wife moderates the stream for him yeah like, like his, she's well, sitting there reading yeah the yeah like so she she's she's a moderator like a husband and wife team so yeah. it's like a real person it's not like you report something to facebook no and yeah like all of his moderators all of his moderators all of his moderators are real people oh that's who, so interesting who are actual like yeah members of twitch not like the company they don't they don't work for twitch they work for the streamer but they're like users of twitch who moderate and know the rules and like are the law yeah and and people like and get, i know you've told me there's like different levels of bands like sometimes they'll just like put you in a timeout quote unquote and like have a cool off period and sometimes all the way up to like your you're band never coming from back the stream, yeah like, like you're never the streamer yes. is like i don't want you in my chat kind of thing. I, and i've seen both i've seen i've seen both and so like i mean just the other day somebody came in and you could tell this, this person was like either stupid or like 12 and was like <laughs> this guy was gay Ugh. and it was just like and literally the streamer's like is it like 2006 like that guy's a band you know he's gone and it was it right and that's yeah and i mean yeah obviously the memes of that's like that's obviously unique to that guy like i'm sure there's sure. other streamers yes. that don't I take have, it as seriously yes. but well twitch is also not a platform for just people who play video games there's like you know people have twitch streams and do you know everything under the sun it's just yeah you know. like we could stream this podcast on twitch if we wanted to sure. yeah i mean people do oh, people do streams of themselves sleeping I, I'm not lying to you. Like it's the Twitch Wait. broadcast live, and they're just in bed asleep. For... So Twitch is just live broadcast platform. Yeah, yeah. For the most but part, it's mostly. It's I think like, it's yeah, like earned games. its its most of its notoriety, at least from my perspective, with like video game streaming. That's what I. Yes. That's what I thought. No, of that's, that's what, that like, very true. That yeah, very true. that's what I associated with it. But there, to your point, like there's people that do like what we're doing, like podcasting or or they just kind talk, of talk show like, formats. They do, yeah. they, they, there's a section of just or, like, chatting. Like stand up comedy, where, like yeah, that kind of stuff. Like do people do like all kinds of stuff? But it's like stuff. live, live streaming, and mm-hmm. it's owned by Amazon. So now it has like a big, yes, big very thing. big lucrative partnership. With um, Amazon. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what do you say when people are like? 
video games are too violent and they lead to people well, doing I, I violent say... things? Or how do we keep video games, you know, for adults it's one thing, consenting adults, but like how, like, to your point, you started playing survival horror games when you were really young. And I think that might be like shocking to some people. Like, do you think it affected you in some way? Or was it something about you that you were able to kind of separate it? And like, how do you regulate that kind of stuff? Well, I mean, it's, it's so as far as um, people who say like video games cause violence or, you know, predispose people to be violent. It's like, well, that's actually like been scientifically disproven. Like any number of times that like that whole stance is not worth like maintaining or even like talking about yeah. because it's been so I mean, one of the big cases for that was like columbine right if you want to hear at least something that i've so, read sociologists in like, Dave like Collins clinical book, we've talked about clinical psychologists sociologists like like you know it's been disproven by like many people yeah. across many different fields like video games it there's, can definitely there's, cause psychological distress in the person but there's sure, no evidence that 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 leads, watching a violent movie or playing a violent video game makes you like, a violent person violent, so yeah violent, violence is, is certainly a learned behavior but it's like there there is literally zero evidence to support that claim and there has never been any found that like video games lead to or encourage people to yeah. become like but i think violent. we can all agree that playing a survival horror game at age six maybe isn't the best thing well so but you also got to understand that like for, for my my specific i do disagree and well my my experience is also kind of unique as it's subjective to the times and that the first, you know the original Resident Evil you're talking like character models that were like three pixels like right. I was looking at like squares it's not as realistic as right the games so it's are like now. I was able to at the age of six but look at now this and be like, it's different it's I mean it is different like it, the way you know computer generated imaging technology has you know gone so far that like it's I, I have seen realistic. I have seen trailers for video games now that when they start I, I I'm not sure if I'm looking at like a computer generated image or it's like, it's like a real person in front of me until like I watch it play out and then I'm able to and I'm like okay this is a job but like it's really good see, you know obviously that's different when you're talking about like a game that's running and causing processing power there's like a big yeah. despair, disparity but when you talk about how do you control like what younger people are like able to access that's the whole reason the ESRB which is the the organization that is responsible for rating video games if this is E for everyone this is T for teenage M for mature right mm-hmm. that organization exists for that yeah. reason but so ultimately obviously, like those games that maybe you were playing as a kid like your parents my parents consented you. yeah, my, yeah well I mean my dad <laughs> bought it for himself but like you know what's right. you know, well that's like, the other is. thing right you know that's mm-hmm. the that's with everything like drugs alcohol exactly you know so, guns like exactly if you have them in the house as a consenting adult like your kids are going to get into that shit they're smarter than right. you especially so when it's it comes really to just like if you're if you're a parent uh or you know you are in the care of someone who is you know young it's just you know the age group the age is like on the thing like m-rated games 17 but if you're in a you know a caregiver to a, a child or someone under the age of 17 and, and like you're, you're consenting to them doing this then it's like that's the onus is on you like period that's just the way mm-hmm. you know that's just any like adult like responsibility mechanism it's just like it's your decision to make this happen for your kid but how do you think playing those games with your parents consenting affected you or not at all you think just because the games were less advanced now i think it's also like resident evil they just remade they remade it and yeah i know that was one of your favorites but like if you had a kid now who was six or whatever age when you played the first resident evil would you let them play the new version or would you introduce them why because i mean it's one of the things that you learn especially in, like, spooky, like, survival horror settings or whatever, is it's all about, like, overcoming difficult problems, right? It's more of, like, a learning mechanism, which is why, like, you know, studies have proven that kids who play video games across the board have be- better fine motor skills and develop complex problem-solving mechanisms at a much earlier age than kids that do not play video games consistently, right? Survival horror is a really great, uh, like, encourager of that behavior because that is survival horrors solving complex problems so even though they maybe, look scary well i disagree with that i think six is a yeah, little young, totally maybe like well at the age of at the age of six sure i mean i i threw that number out because i that can't might be a little remember and obviously but like, you're, you're talking your about like experience but would right. you play it maybe if you played it alongside them and tried to like show them the parts of it that were constructive maybe a little bit of an older kid maybe like 10 or 12 yeah sure absolutely not just let them. I mean, I, I would not. Game. I would not let my six-year-old play video games. Period. Just because I'm like at that age. Because I was at the age of six. I was you know running around outside, riding my bike, playing with my friends like on my you mm-hmm. know street. Yeah. So it was like but definitely before the age of seventeen. There's a happy medium maybe between. Yeah, I think yeah, like around like six. like ten. You know, yeah. like is is probably you know I would say if you were interested in letting your kid do that, it would probably be like a good place to allow that to happen. Um, with just a because lot of guardrails. Sure, and I just and think... it's like, you know your kid. Like, you also, I think, are a unique person where, like, you from a young age like horror games. I think that aspect of it, like, you're talking about the survival aspect and the complex 
problem solving like you you as a kid it seems like glommed on to that aspect of it whereas other kids might just be like shocked by the horror and quite frankly might not have the constitution to be able to get to that second level of thinking just because they're so you know terrified and Mm -hmm. traumatized from the horror so like as a parent you have to know your kid and like what they're capable there's of. There's also some. I mean, yeah. I also, I also some again, maybe this is because maybe this okay. is because of my like exposure <laughs> at such a young age. But like, survival horror is also like very cathartic for me because it's part of that. Like, I know the, you the, like very macabre. Well, stuff. it's just like yeah, that, and it's just like the oldest and you know basest like human emotion is like is fear. So it's like when you're scared, that like actively like targets a part of your brain that like to me has become in a way cathartic. That I you know I enjoy that like. Oh god! Oh god! That was really scary. That was really scary. You're right. Um, same While thing. Like when you're in get... the comfort of your own home, obviously, and you right. know that I mean, nothing's bad. I mean, if someone's like, "You want to go run through this monster-filled hallway where you'll actually yeah. die?" It's like, no, that's I'm I'm cool with that. I'll stay out here where it's safe. But um, you know, but it's the same thing when you yeah, do like extreme sports, like you skydiving also, is like really fun. Right. For me I was going to say you like skydiving, which I think is insane. Eleven people just died skydiving in Hawaii. Anyway, I'm like I cry about it. Like everybody, everybody gets got eventually. No, they they weren't skydiving, but the plane went down. It's not skydiving. They skydiving. The plane crashed. I know, but it still scares me. Okay, so that's why you don't go up in dinky planes. I know. Unfortunately, they're all dinky. I was also worried about that. There's been a lot of helicopter crashes recently. Get better pilots. I don't know what to tell you. I I was just going to. That was all the questions I had specifically. I was gonna open it up if there's any like last minute things you want to say unless Shay has any other no, I think questions you answered all my questions and that was very um a really good and interesting perspective yes. i mean i guess my question is like what like i know you're probably not as into it as i am Shay, but like what do you not like if you had a kid what would be your biggest reason for not or and maybe like restricting their uh ability to play games if well, that was like a decision that you had to make i don't have any well, as long as there's a certain organization that I can't think of right now that gives out screen time guidelines. So as long mm-hmm. as you're, I'm within those screen time guidelines, I don't really care that if they're playing video games. But I don't think it's appropriate for children to see extreme violence played out in front of them at a young age. Um, That's fair. I just, I just think it, I think it affects their developing brains. I think it puts things in their heads. I think you then end up dealing with just screaming nightmares and issues. And I think also, you know, that all being said though, like I, for example, if my kid, if my eight year old wanted to read a Stephen King novel, I'd be like, great, knock yourself out. Because I think that it's, it's probably it's an easier way to dip your toe into horror, like reading Stephen well, King. Well, exactly, exactly. And I certainly read things, which we'll, we'll actually get into with my second hot topic here in a minute, Maddie. Um, you know, before the recommended age, I read a lot of, like, Anne Rice and Stephen King, like, when I was in middle, middle school and stuff. So it's not that there's anything wrong with horror. I just think that when it's coming at your face and there, there's nothing left to the imagination. Right. I feel that. I understand. That's... Yeah, you're kind of taking away, and I think anything, and this is why I also think, you know, a lot of TV is not great for kids, a lot of video games, a lot of anything that is, like, basically feeding them the exact content and not letting them exercise their own imagination to fill in the blanks can be a little dangerous, but do I think there's anything wrong with kids playing age-appropriate or even slightly advanced games for an hour a day? No, not at all. You know, play Oregon Trail until your, <laughs> you know, eyes rot. I don't Fair really game. care. But Well, the good news is most um, uh, developers are required by law to include some kind of, like, medical guideline at the very beginning of, like, as the game is, like, booting up. I, I, don't, I, can't, I don't even think I see it not in games anymore where it's, like, mm-hmm. like a general surgeon's warning that if you may, are epileptic, you may have... Like, you should consult your physician before you play this game, and the recommended, like, yeah. amount of time is an hour and a half, and then you need to take, like, a 45 to an hour long break, break right? I mean, oh, I obviously am just like, you know, fuck <laughs> you. Like, I, I'm going to sit here until the sun comes up, and it's, you know... Well, not, you're an adult. Whatever. You're like, not right. an adult. So, uh, those things do exist, but it's also just, like, the rating system that it's just, like, how, you know... Yeah. It's definitely much, interesting more or less, you pay how to much more advanced I think the industry has gotten, and I think, like... I definitely played, we talked about this with Rebecca, like some, you know, computer games that were popular at the time. And like, I've definitely dabbled in like console gaming from time to time, like Mario Kart and stuff like that. That's like pretty mainstream. But like, I think there's a huge gap where like you experienced it real hand from the time you were six to now. That's like a long time. It's almost 15 years worth of technological rapid advancement. Oh yeah, it's been pretty wild. And, you know, the industry, I think 
has tried to do a lot. And I think, like Shay mentioned, there's these like independent agencies that have become more popular. But I think, again, it comes back to a lot of these things that we talk about when it comes to like what is appropriate for kids. Like we were talking about vaccines. I think everyone is in agreement, hopefully, that like vaccines are a good thing, but you still no. have to know. <laughs> He's kidding. Um, oh, am I? Oh, my God. You're going to. Uh, you're gonna be fired from the podcast but it's like so let mother nature sort you, them out guys like what are we talking about here he's kidding he like you know what your kid can handle at the certain time and you know what's acceptable if you're a good parent and i think just letting your kid go buck wild on any like candy or anything like that's yeah, you're the first one to admit like your parents you know not to badmouth them but like they let you probably eat more candy and soda than you sure, should as, for sure, had, as a for kid sure. like that's the same thing that we're talking about so actually on the topic of inappropriate violent video games real quick one last funny thing one of my fondest memories growing up was when grand theft auto 3 released for the playstation 2 my mom dad little brother and i all sat around the big tv in the living room and just were running pedestrians over in taxi cabs having the time of our lives just laughing that was before they put real life titties in grand theft auto that would have been great family was too pixelated back then i mean real life titties would have been like a square some lifelike titties on grand theft auto i know it's great oh my goodness you know they have someone motion cap those titties too like somebody was in some ladies titties for sure bouncing around hey it's great we've come a long way yeah, good for the industry. Really, I, know, I mean, like I said, if you're gonna have titties, they might as well be realistic. Now, I, now, like I said, I, I said this during Rebecca's episode. When am I gonna see a floppy wiener in a video game? I already, I don't like. Wait, wait, you literally go boot up Grand Theft Auto Five right now. They're in There's that game. There's floppy wiener. Yes. So that was motion captured by some guy too. That I, I don't know that because it's too it's not low res. Enough. So yeah. I don't think it was motion. Well, Corey, while we finish the podcast episode, go find Floppy Wiener, and then you can present yeah, that Yeah, send us to like a Twitch stream on YouTube. We we'll post to it yeah. in the no. episode notes. I'm good on that. Search Floppy Wiener video game. <laughs> okay. So yeah. you get a virus on your Please computer. Please help. Well, thank you for coming on. Yep, this absolutely. Been great. I'm going to go diddle myself in the living room. Okay, bye. Bye. Great. Excellent content. Awesome. Shay, what is your Excellent. second hot topic? So good. Well, my second log for this roaring campfire is um it's about the goodreads uh yearly reading challenge and there was an article in the atlantic about it so do we all know what goodreads is uh for those listeners website right yes it's a book recommendation website um you can track your reading list you can uh you know there's all kinds of follow other people right follow other people um, so it's like basically like a social media for reading. Um, and they do this thing every year called the reading challenge. So you say like, I want to read 50 books and then you track the 50 books that you read and you can like kind of compete against other people or whatever. Uh, so there was this article in the Atlantic called the adults who treat reading like homework. And the subtitle was no one's making them try to read 100 books a year. Um, so now I personally have done the Goodreads reading challenge. This is probably like my fourth or fifth year doing it. I've always kept a list of all the books that I read and I started using this app and then my friend was like, do the challenge. And I get really like caught up in it. Like last year, I just had a lot going on and I wasn't reading as much um, or I was reading at like a slower pace and I was kind of reading some bigger books. And the fact that I only read 50 out of the 75 books on my challenge was like, I felt like such a failure. Now this year, of course, I set my challenge for 60 books and I'm already like way over halfway. So it's very interesting. But what I thought was particularly uh, millennial about this article is that they talk about why this reading challenge appeals to millennials. And they say part of it is because um, some of uh, for millennials, their first experience with reading was wrapped up in these uh, reading challenges at school, like Pizza Hut's reading program, uh, which is apparently still a thing today. But did your school do that, Maddie? Um, we definitely had, like, yes, we did. It's, like, hard for me to, like, think all the way back there. But, yeah, I think we definitely had, like, I feel like there was some, like, charity component where, like, or, like, if you read the most books, you got, like, a prize. There was definitely something. Oh, the Pizza Hut thing thing. was great. Like, you had to read a very low number of books and you got a free personal pan pizza. Oh, wow. That's great. (laughs) It was great. And I loved it. And it was one of uh, my, just one of my favorite things, and I loved it. And I just thought it was a great article, um, kind of just talking about this phenomenon of 
phenomena of the Goodreads reading challenge and kind of where it came from and why millennials um, like this. And I thought it was interesting that it says in 2018, only 16% of participants actually completed their challenges, finishing 21% of total books pledged. However, um, a few years earlier in like, say, 2013, participants read 56% of the books Pledged. And it says this could be because in the early days of the challenge, um, only the most hardcore readers were participating and then they started to promote it more. And now there's like, you know, more people that aren't as serious. Uh, but I thought it was really great. And it says, you know, why quantify your leisure reading at all? Um, and I thought this was really great because I'm kind of obsessed with like habits and, you know, personal development as Maddie is as well. Um, yeah. It says... Perhaps the most intuitive reason is the most common. Adding some structure to your reading life can be a way of making sure that you actually read. Um, then it talks about how Scholastic conducted a survey of adult readers' practices, and it tried um, to figure out what was the difference between people who classified themselves as readers and people who classified themselves as non-readers. And I thought this was so interesting. It said, one of the key things she found, the woman who conducted the survey, was that the only difference between a non-reader and a reader is that a reader has a plan for future reading and a non-reader does not. Mm. Um, and I thought that was just so interesting. And then she says, a plan for future reading might just mean putting books one is interested in on hold at the library or a loose plan to dedicate time for more reading. Or it might mean a yearly reading challenge. Um, so I really liked that. I also love there are always so many great uh, challenges that come out like on Pinterest or through various influencers at the beginning of the year that challenge you to read more uh, books by people of color or more books in a particular genre and to have a wider reading life. And I am very bad at doing those, but I always want to do them. <laughs> so maybe next year. Uh, also, summer is a great time to do a reading challenge. And there's a lot of things that you can find on the internet that's like read these 10 books by the end of August um so anyway I love it I just thought it was really interesting and um yeah so my goal is 60 books I'm definitely going to make it so readers or and listeners if you have anything that you would recommend. I'm definitely looking for more recommendations so send it my way and I recently got a new Kindle and eventually I'll figure out how to connect it to the library so then I can read all the books. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's super interesting. I definitely consider myself a reader and I have, you know, it's interesting when you were saying like having a plan to read, like I have a stack of like books that I want to read and it's like in a visible place in my living room. So I always, you know, have books that mm -hmm. I'm like looking forward to reading. Um, my stacks are like going to kill me one day yeah. because they're literally all I mean Maddie right. used to see my room in New York I very easily could have been killed by books yes. flying <laughs> if I'd like truck went by or yeah. something but I feel like that's one thing like having books on hand like not waiting until you have like a moment of leisure to like you know get a book from the library because it might be out of stock or like going to the bookstore mm -hmm. or something like having some books on hand that are like genuinely interesting and you don't just like feel a sense of obligation um mm -hmm. But yeah, I've never I've never actually been on Goodreads, so oh, it's, it's fun. I think you would like out. it. Yeah, I'm sure I would. I like all that kind of stuff, and I think you know, to your point about like the personal development, I think there is this millennial push to quantify everything, like the popularity of bullet journaling and like making mm -hmm. a to do list just so you can like cross things off the to do list. Like I think it all kind of feeds the same way. I'd be interested because I feel like I read a fair amount of books to like know how many it is, which is interesting. But I yeah. think the push to finish books, which like this is something that. I definitely used to struggle with before and you know just recently like in the past couple months I've kind of like loosened the reins on this but I used to be very mm -hmm. obsessed with like even if a book you know you can tell like when you open a book and it's a compelling story and you are genuinely looking forward to reading it and you're like devouring it those mm -hmm. are the books that you remember and are worth reading but there's always like the book that like everyone's reading or someone recommended it to you and you are like mm -hmm. struggling to finish it and I feel like that's where like mm -hmm. something like the, a Goodreads challenge is maybe a little bit short-sighted because you're like I have to finish it otherwise it doesn't count even though it's like a pressure that you're putting on yourself and it's like dudes mm -hmm. life is too short to read books that you don't yeah aren't getting anything out of so that being said like recently I read a book uh, I think it was actually nominated for the Booker Prize called uh 
conversations with friends, which is by a millennial, very young millennial um, author, Irish author. And I read like the first 50 pages and I was like, this is dumb, but I'm going to keep reading it because it's not a very long book and I'm already 50 pages in. But then I kept reading it and then I was like, oh, I actually really like this book. Yeah. And had I not felt encouraged to read it, I would not have read it. But that being said, there are some books that I just can't get through and I... I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, but I, I love also Maddie, but- read like a lot of. You definitely read more fiction than I do. Like I would say, I probably read maybe two or three fiction books a year, mm-hmm. and then the rest are nonfiction. Like mm-hmm. I love a good memoir, autobiography, like history yeah. books. So sometimes like history books can be super dry, and you're like, okay, yeah. I could just like Google this instead of reading yeah. this like really long book. Like that's how I felt. Like I read like the Hamilton book by Ron Chernow. Mm-hmm. And I probably got like three quarters of the way through it. Like I really, really slogged through it. I was reading that for like months and I was just like, mm-hmm. you know what? It's not worth it. Yeah. Totally no, not worth it. But I feel like something with a narrative quality and if it like comes recommended and stuff like, yeah, mm-hmm. probably pushing through to the end makes more sense. Yeah. Well, I think it's really interesting to, um, I- I'm really fascinated by people's reading lives and what being a reader looks like to them. And like, for me, I'm just, I, I'm a reading junkie. Like I, I'm constantly at reading. I, I try to read only like two books at a time, but I'm back up yeah. to reading like six to eight books at a time, which is a little problematic. But one thing I love Maddie about you and when you share your reading life is you always, um, or often you'll treat a book almost like an event or a treat. And you'll be like this weekend I read this book and I love that and I love the idea of being able to dedicate you know you'll you'll I think you find when you read books like that that it doesn't actually take as long to finish a book as you think it's going to finish yeah um so anyway I'm just fascinated by the ways the ways that we read and for me like quantifying it and listing it has just been I think because of the quantity of books that I read and sometimes I literally can't remember what I've yeah. read before so I have yeah. to check my list. Well that's definitely I yeah. don't know if it's just like a memory thing but I I usually have like I'll either be reading one book or like I'll have one book that's more like you know like a history book like I have this book that I've been like slowly more of a working slow with. burn. Yeah more of like a slow burn or like before bed not that it's like boring but it kind of like puts you to sleep mm. and then I have the one that's like I just bought it and it's a treat and I really want to finish it. Um but yeah, I feel like dedicating the time, you know, to like, I feel like I remember them a lot more. And to your point, like, uh-huh. yeah, it is an experience. And it's like, you can remember if if you read it like all in one sitting or something, you can remember like the place and time in which you read it. And then it helps you remember it more if you're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I could go back there. I feel that way with podcasts too. Like sometimes, you know, if I'm like listening to a really good podcast, but I'm listening to it in like five or 10 minute sprints all day Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna remember it as if I was like you know folding laundry for an hour listening to it you know it's still productive but it's like all in one sitting kind of thing so exactly totally interesting well that's my little discussion on reading I know we're getting close to our time but should we head to the practice tent for one or two questions yeah sounds good okay as usual I'm like where were we I know I should have pulled up too but Psychic reading, public apology, heroes. Oh, Um, I think was the last one we did. Have you ever met one of your heroes? Yes, we did that one. Okay. Did we say, have you ever met someone who was genuinely evil? Mm, I don't think so. Okay. So that's the next question. That's so interesting. Have, Have you ever met someone who was genuinely evil? No, but I've watched a lot of Netflix documentaries. I, I know, Ted Bundy. Right? It's so interesting. Oh, God, did you see the Zac Efron movie? Uh, did we yeah, talk about this? It was, no, I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah, it was good. It was really good. Um, it was, yeah, it was fascinating. It was so well done. Um, yeah, I mean, and I also feel like, it, it. I don't know. I think this is such a personal question, like, do, about, like, the very nature of good and evil. Do you truly believe someone can be all good or all bad? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I think people can be 97%. philosophical. I know, one way or the other, but... Yeah, well, they all do even, not... even Ted Bundy, I mean, that guy, shockingly evil and vile, literally the name of the yeah. movie... And even he, you know, was good-looking and was nice to that nice lady and her 
kid, you know. Yeah, he didn't murder her, so her up in the end. Yeah, right. But you know, and he had a good relationship with his mom. Like she was always, you know, trying to Mm -hmm. get him off death row and stuff. So it's always, I feel like that's. Do you watch Big Little Lies? I won't give any spoilers. I haven't watched the second season yet, but yes, the second season. It's it's not a spoiler, but it's like the whole second season surrounds like the the big brouhaha that happened at the end of the first season and like Mm -hmm. the new Meryl Streep character is like kind of trolling around like figuring out she's the guy who died sorry if you haven't listened to watch Big Little Mm -hmm. Eyes but you know someone dies at the end and the guy that dies the his mom comes and she's like sleuthing around and they're all basically like he sucked in many ways Mm -hmm. and she's like I don't believe it it's my perfect little boy and it's Mm. like dudes People are multifaceted. Get with the time. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Okay. Next question. Have you ever pushed your body further than you dreamed possible? Um, yes. When I hiked the Grand Canyon in high school, I literally thought I was going to die. And now looking mm-hmm. back on it, I'm like, I was in the best shape of my life. So classic. <laughs> like, if I tried to do it now, I would probably actually die. But in high yeah. school, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I remember... You know, it's, like, such a cliche thing, but, like, when we were hiking all the way down, and it's, like, an eight-hour hike, and you're, like, mm-hmm. walking down with, like, a 50-pound pack, so you're doing, like, the same motion, mm-hmm. and the woman who was, like, leading our group, who was the, like, facilitator, um, she was a marathon runner, and she had done this mm-hmm. trip to the Grand Canyon, like, a number of times, and she was, like, I don't want to freak you guys out, but, like this is harder like the recovery after doing this is harder than any of the marathons I've ever run and we were like are you serious like we're just gonna be like walking around oh my god I Mm -hmm. was in so much pain the whole time Mm -hmm. I was down there just like your joints and Mm -hmm. you know you're like we got down there and then it's like you're down there for a long time and you're like fuck I have to like keep walking and then you have the looming like walking out at the end Mm -hmm. and you're like oh my god so literally at the end of that when we were like I think we freaked out a bunch of tourists because we were like hadn't showered and we're like full of mud and we were literally like (laughs) sprinting up like the last like few meters and then we just like Mm -hmm. were flailed on the ground and we were like oh my god we're done it's done Ah!" and I was like I literally showered and I was like each like water droplet was like painful I was like Mm -hmm. my whole body was just like oh my god it was awful and then I had to sit on a plane we had to drive to Vegas and then sit on a plane and I was like oh god and I was 16 at the time so I was like in such good shape I like almost I was like dancing at the time I probably like almost had a six-pack I was like oh my god in such good shape well I think people always underestimate hiking and walking like they think it's going to be easy and then it's actually it's both physically and mentally and emotionally very tough most people Um, die like in the grand canyon but also like endurance hikes is people that underestimate mm -hmm. their own abilities and then yeah are in so like so badly injured or like you know fatigued that they can't get themselves out of a dangerous situation yeah um, I mean, I guess for me, like I could say when I did the Camino in Spain, which is a 500 mile hike, which I did over 30, 32 days. Um, but I, even with that, it's like, I knew like there was never a point where I was like, I actually don't think I could do this. Like yeah. there were definitely points where I was like, this sucks. I'm in a lot of pain. It is very hot, but it, it, but that's it's that's a very I mean yeah. I can talk it still about felt doable for a long time yeah yeah it, but it always but like I just knew it, it's not even that it felt doable like that I think it's just like I always knew that I would be okay and it wasn't like but again it wasn't like I was doing anything I don't know I just feel yeah. like for me personally I have a very clear knowledge of what my body can and cannot do and where I want to push it and where I don't want to push it so I'm like never surprised I yeah. guess um but yeah that's good so all right should we do one more sure two more let's do one more okay have you ever screamed at someone how come oh yeah definitely yeah like a thousand times and i'm not really a (laughs) screamer but like who hasn't yeah i was gonna say like nothing's coming to my like i've never like screamed somewhere inappropriate like work or mm-hmm. something like that yeah i've definitely screamed at Corey. i feel mm. i have screamed at 
jerky drivers a lot. Oh, yes, definitely that. People yeah. on the sidewalk of New York that are like, can't figure it out. Mm-hmm. That's definitely happened. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I guess I'm really not a screamer. No, but like, I'm not either. But like, definitely it. raising your voice. Dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dog. I've for screamed sure. in general, like, just into the void. by myself <laughs> and I'm frustrated. Yeah, yes. into the void. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I think yeah. that's sometimes it's warranted. Sometimes you have to scream too for like safety if you're trying to like get someone's attention. You're like, hey, that train's mm-hmm. gonna hit you, move out of the way, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a useful thing. Exactly. Agreed. Cool. Well, thank you, listeners. Uh, you know where to find us, and we will be back next week with a still undetermined guest. <laughs> Someone we will invite and hopefully schedule. Between now and then. (laughs) Or else it might just be us. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, resident youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield. And this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com. And you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.